Nadia. Welcome to the Nature Untold podcast. On this podcast, we share stories of all kinds of addiction, recovery, and sobriety within the outdoor community and industry. Hosted by John Holnier, produced by me, Emily Holland, on this show, you'll hear stories from all parts of our outdoor community, from the weekend warriors to the folks summiting Everest and everything in between. From folks struggling with alcohol to folks struggling with drugs to codependency and love addiction, we represent all types of recovery stories. Our goal is simple and twofold. First, we aim to normalize these types of discussions within the outdoor spaces we love, play, and teach in. And second, we want people who are struggling to know they aren't alone, that we're all in this together. We're so glad you're here. Now let's get on to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being with us again for another episode of Nature Untold. I'm your host, John Holdmeyer. Today, we're sitting down with Spencer Harkins. Spencer is a top-level skier who brings a ton of energy to all of his outdoor pursuits. He's also incredibly open in sharing his personal sobriety story. I really enjoyed my conversation with Spencer, and I know y'all are going to like it as well. So let's get to it. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Nature Untold. Uh, We're here today with Spencer Harkins and... Spencer, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you today and and hear your story. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, happy to do this. Uh, it's an important subject for me. Heck yeah, man. I, I think the best place to start is kind of where we start with with every episode with a little bit of backstory from you. You know where you're from, uh, where you are now, and kind of how you got into the outdoors. If if you don't mind, kind of starting us there. Yeah, totally. Um, I'll try and keep it as relevant as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> you go down the rabbit hole there. Yeah, we're here for it. Uh, yeah, I'm from I'm from Massachusetts, uh, a suburb of Boston called Andover, and I'm currently living in Salt Lake City, Utah, in Little Cotton Canyon. Oh, nice! That sounds awesome. I've I've never been to uh, to the Massachusetts area. I have been to the to the Utah area. I know that's beautiful, and I, I somehow for some reason I have a lot of Massachusetts. Uh, connections these days in my life, so I hear good things about that. Also, how did you uh, how did you get started in the outdoors? Uh, was that back in your Massachusetts, like in your childhood days? Yeah, yeah. Um, skiing was how I got started in the outdoors. Um, my parents put me on skis really early in my life, which is um, super cool because they were not big skiers in their adult lives. And my dad started kind of in high school and college and taught himself. My mom got into it around the same time, but they decided to put myself and my one sister on skis immediately. Um, and we got super into that. Um, so that's like really all of it for me <laughs> is, is through skiing. That's awesome that like, even though it wasn't huge in their life growing up, that they were still like, had, I don't know, whatever motivated them, but had the ability to be like, Hey, this is something we're going to do as a family. Did you all, so that was just like local stuff around, around Massachusetts. Is there a lot of skiing out, out that way? Did you all travel a lot or what did that look like? Yeah. In Massachusetts, you're mostly dealing with these like small old school style hills. Um, we skied at this place called Ski Bradford mostly. That was like, I think one chairlift and like the Black Diamond run had 
it was the exact same as like the three other runs there, but it had this one tree <laughs> in the center of the run. It's like, you can only imagine yeah. like that video game ski free, like the yeah. skier just like hitting it, straddling it. And that's like as bad as it got. But yeah, so that's like kind of skiing in Massachusetts. There's a lot of stuff like that. There's some slightly bigger joints too, but mostly stuff like that. But we, um, once we got really into it, we started spending weekends up in, uh, Loon mountain, New Hampshire, where I like joined the ski team, ski race team and did that until early high school. That's really funny. The, the one black diamond, uh, run that reminds me of, we have a ski hill here in Missouri and it's kind of, I don't even think they call it a black. I think they just call it a blue and it's just like the green, like it's the exact, <laughs> the exact same thing, except there's a handful of trees near it. That's funny. Yeah. Maybe slightly narrower. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's one little steeper part. That's, that's funny. Nice. So getting into the skiing and, and those, those early outdoor activities with your family, was that pretty much mainly focused around skiing? Did you like really, did that resonate with you immediately or was it just kind of a background thing or what did your ski journey? I know that's your, your main thing now, you know, that's, that's what you're known for. So how did that journey kind of evolve? Was it kind of a lot of dabbling and a lot of things or were you immediately hooked on, on the skiing aspect of things? God, I don't even really know the answer to that. Like, to what like my earliest days look like skiing, like just all of my memories are based around like loving it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there were some rough times with me early on. Uh, haven't always had the best attitude around everything in the world. So, um, <laughs> I do know my parents told me like early on when I started skiing, like their program was, you know, if I didn't want to ski, I'd just kind of like fall over and they would just bail and ski down the hill. And nice. <laughs> that's how I, kind of learned how to ski is it's like well nobody's gonna pick me up so better go that's fine um, but yeah no i was I, I was super in love with it um definitely as early as i can remember did that i guess what was the what was the move out west like for you and did your skiing how did that affect like your outdoors and your skiing you know did you go straight from the boston area to utah and did you really kind of amp it up then or was it uh more gradual than that yeah it was not gradual the move out west was like the only thing that i wanted to do starting when i was about like 12 years old like trying to get my family to move out west um they did not until after i did but yeah I, you know i turned 18 i graduated high school and by october the following year i was living in a ski in ski out condo on uh, breckenridge mountain resort nice in colorado where I was like super into terrain park skiing right then. So Breckenridge was kind of the hub of that. This was 2009. That's funny. So yeah. I was like as rad as you could be was going yeah. to Breckenridge. Yeah. Um, I remember so I that man. straight there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. We've probably been there at the same time. Like we're, you know, I'm from Missouri, but we used to go out there once a year to Breckenridge. We would go to copper a lot too, but uh, once or twice a year. So I'm sure you were probably there doing really cool stuff while I was just trying to figure out how to not hurt myself at some point. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, okay. So Breckenridge, uh, how does that then kind of grow into, uh, in, in the terrain park stuff and, and that scene, how does that grow into now what, what you're doing now and what the last few years have been like for you? Yeah. It's all like a somewhat obvious timeline, like really, um, I ended up going to college at the University of Colorado, Boulder. I spent 
the kind of four winners in Colorado. I was on a pretty sweet program where I would do just the summer and fall semester in Boulder. Uh, and then I would jet up to Summit County for the winters and work a job up there and just ski all the time. Yeah. So that was sweet. I got like four really good winners of skiing the train parks around Colorado, um, which was definitely my thing. Uh, you know, I was like trying to make it, whatever that means, as like a pro park skier and like street skier. Yeah. And just didn't really have the community of people in Colorado that were doing what I wanted to do, which is like making movies and like being out every day, like trying to huck our bodies down staircases. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Yeah, that's a that's a, a special crowd of folks. You got to search for that. Yeah, there's really not many people doing it. And for good reason, uh, yeah. you get injured and there's absolutely no way to like make money doing it. And it's a serious passion project for like already a niche sport of like even more niche people. It's like one of the dumbest things I ever committed in my time to. It was awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I like found a crew in Salt Lake City who was like really into that and super productive. Um, yeah, they were friends of friends and I started coming out and visiting them my last year in Colorado. And then, um, yeah, it was like right after I graduated school, I moved straight to Salt Lake city to be with that crew. Um, and yeah, successfully throw myself off of parking garages and down staircases and all that. Um, nice. so that was like why I ended up moving to Salt Lake city. It was like for this group of kids, um, and to try and make these movies, which um, you can look up and still watch. We were called the hood crew, nice. which is a question, very questionable name. Uh, yeah. but it was based around Mount hood, Oregon. Um, sure. And, uh, we made some pretty, <laughs> pretty questionable movies, but there was a lot of passion and they're, they were really fun to watch back then. I haven't rewatched anything in a bit, but, um, they might yeah. still be now. We were definitely, um, getting after it. It's a really good group, but anyways, um, yeah, did that. And, miraculously like bought an Alta ski area ski pass my first year in Utah, my first winter in Utah, like was skiing park. But I was like, I guess I should buy this like powder powder skiing paradise ski pass as well. Um, yeah. And just got, yeah, fell in love with the place and have remained in love with the place and have since had enough injuries that I realized, you know, I'm not as skilled as I need to be for this sport of street skiing. <laughs> I like, kept getting hurt every single year. And I'm always like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. trying so hard and none of my other buddies are getting hurt. And I'm like, oh crap, that's because they're better than me. They're not getting hurt because they're not <laughs> falling as often. We're trying the same stuff, but like yeah. they're succeeding. It's a numbers so game. After, like, yeah. yeah. So after enough injuries, I, I chilled out on that stuff. Um, but have remained super passionate about skiing and yeah, I've remained here in Utah where I think it's, um, a really great place to be based as a, uh, you know, United States skier with a professional life as well. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Um, I always hear that. I mean, that's, that's, I've never skied up there and I'm limited, uh, in my experience, uh, snowboarding experience and have done a lot of Colorado stuff, but everybody talks about how it's just different up where you are and how the snow, the quality of the snow and all that is so much better. So it seems like you found the I right don't fit. Don't let them tell you that. It's, it's <laughs> so much better in Colorado. Is it really? Oh, there's nothing like Vail's back bowls. Okay. Vail's so ski the difference. It's just one of those, like the grass is always greener kind of things then. 
I guess. No, no. Colorado's just better. <laughs> nice. All right. That's my official stance. I like it. I like that. Cool. All right. So that's that's awesome. I like I like that whole kind of trajectory of, you know, starting as a kid and getting obsessed and, and growing into realizing that you're realizing, hey, this this park thing might not be uh, my best choice at, at this moment, but I still love the sport and this is what I want to do now. Kind of stupid story. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I like it. I think it's it, it makes a lot of sense, honestly, in the conversation we're having because I think there might be some parallels uh, in other areas of like your your sobriety journey and what that's looked like. So could you kind of, I guess, speak to the beginning of that? Uh, you know, how long has it been that you've been sober and what that has looked like for you? Like, I guess, just kind of an overview of it. And then we'll go, we'll dive a little deeper after you give like an overview of, of that story. It's funny you asked that question of how long it's been. So I pulled out an app that I downloaded a long time ago that I never really look at, but nice. I'm at 1,382 days, um, which is like just under five years. It'll be five years um, this August, which is cool. Hell yeah, um, That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah, that to me looks like um, no alcohol. Um, no drugs. And I'm currently sitting here with a cup of green tea getting overstimulated on caffeine. Uh, yep. and of course, you know, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's gotta go somewhere. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm with you there. That's awesome, man. Five years is a long time. That's, that's really cool. What was the early, the early catalyst to that? I guess, what did, you know, what did your life look like kind of briefly before, uh, before you got sober and what led to that change? I thought my life looked pretty normal. <laughs> um, I was like, um, God, I don't really know where to start. Um, but I guess like the immediate times before that, I got more and more just like into partying. Um, I guess like particularly after this ACL injury in 2015, mm. I feel like really like kickstarted that. Mm-hmm. It was 2014. Um, where I got hurt and um, I was still able to like use a road bike um, before and like pretty quickly after the surgery. I remember like going downtown on my road bike a lot um, in Salt Lake City and like just finding a lot of fun with that, like going out to bars on the weeknights and whatnot, meeting people. And I was like, I think this is a really positive thing. So I feel like that's when like, I kind of got like more and more into partying, but I guess, I mean, I always was like throughout college, um, you know, there's multiple stories of me lighting couches on fire, um, <laughs> and generally being an idiot. Um, I like that. Did you, did know. you try yeah. to ski over any of the couches that were on fire? Was this involved in your park, uh, your street skiing? That would have been cool. I should have done that. <laughs> not to put no. ideas, not to put ideas in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping over flaming stuff is always cool. Yeah, um, yeah. You don't you don't need to be intoxicated to think that's cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess I've always had a pretty unhealthy relationship to alcohol, um, and that was like seen in college. But I think in like in that age, um, people don't really connect that to like a problem. Mm. You know, all of the people that I hung out with were partying on a similar level. So it was like only kind of in my like 25, 26 that it was like, Hmm, like maybe I should start to resolve this, but I did not. 
Yeah, that uh, that seems to be a common timeline. Um, a lot of commonalities in there with other stories I've heard is you know the injury aspect of things, like injuries making things worse, making drinking worse, and then also injuries kind of being a catalyst for change as well. And then I think that that college, everybody's drinking, everybody's partying kind of lifestyle, that really resonates with me and my story. And I know a lot of other people I've talked to, it's like you get out of that scene and all your friends move on and you move on and you go different places. And then the behavior is like, oh, oh crap, this is, this is hard to change this behavior that I've like developed over these past several years. So that makes a lot of sense that it was kind of the 26, you know, mid twenties that it started to hit for you. Uh, what did it look like for you when you realized, like, I guess, was there, was there one thing that made the change happen or made it stick or was it one event or was it like, just like reckoning, like an overall reckoning kind of over time or how did it look like to actually make that sobriety happen? It was like definitely a slow build of necessity where unfortunately, like I didn't, I had a really hard time like recognizing that I had an issue or that like my behavior was like truly problematic. Um, and I was dating a girl at the time, um, who was very patient. Um, and you know, was like always really honest with me. Cause I would just kind of like fuck up, um, you know, party too hard and like say something to somebody I didn't mean to, or like, yeah, like <laughs> I always end up stumbling on this, picture on my phone where i like ripped a whole toenail off partying in sandals one time oh god it's like oh, really man. nasty but like that was one of those nights oh. it's just like hey man like you did this like do you remember doing this um you know you're an idiot like maybe you should fix yourself um so it was like kind of like building through that and then like i i also like did not um always love my behavior and definitely like started to like in the hangovers, like always feel a lot of shame in my behavior. Like whether it's like, because I didn't rec- remember what I did or just cause it's like, fuck, like I've been doing this for a while mm. and like, it kind of always feels the same and you just like I mean, hangovers hurt already, but like they started to like really emotionally hurt as well. Sure. Uh, yeah. So like there was definitely a building of necessity for me to make a change. Um, and yeah, I guess like the final catalyst is not really a story I've told much publicly, um, but I'm ha- I'm happy to share it here, which is, let's see, I, well, yeah, so I ended up in jail overnight. So that's the, that's the punchline. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was at a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I worked for this company and I was running the events marketing program for them. Um, we're in the cycling space. So I was at a mountain bike race. Um, and I had just been like partying super hard as always, like something that I liked to do. Um, and on the final night of the race, I really let loose. Um, and yeah, don't remember much after, I don't know, probably 8 PM, except for waking up in the grass to two police officers, um, you know, waking me up and telling me I was under arrest. Um, I had fallen asleep in some nice family's yard mm. um, after yeah, just <laughs> having to, I hate to use the word fun, but too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my buddy and I just like 
ended up there. And uh, I guess I was told that we were like making a bunch of noise and all this crap. So the family uh, called the cops and they came and uh, yet yeah, my buddy had already made it home at that point. Good for him. Dang. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good, but, good for him. Or I guess, I don't know. I yeah. see it all as really good for me, but yeah, yeah. so um, yeah. was was taken into the jail on a public intoxication charge, mm. um, which is awesome. Like very grateful it wasn't anything worse than that, you know, driving or yeah or something. It was just you know my own damages to myself. But yeah, so they they took me to jail and I spent the night there. Got out the next day and uh, yeah, that was the last time that I have drank. <laughs> Wow. Um, which, you know, it's too bad that it took like such a heavy, for me at least, like pretty heavy moment, but uh, I sure. am grateful for it, of course, in the end, which is a classic story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, y- you hear all, all sorts of variations of the story. And I laugh a little bit there while you were talking, not because I think the whole thing is funny, but because I was picturing it as you were describing it. But in general, I mean, it's it seems funny and that's like how you deal with it through those times. But then when you look back at it, you're like, man, I, I was struggling. I I know I have some of those, not exactly the same story, but I have some similar memories where I'm just like, I I look back and feel like I I just want to help that, that person, you know? And so that's, that's pretty awesome that, you know, that was the catalyst and it didn't have to get, you know, go further from there and get worse from there. And it, cause it could have gone multiple directions. So it's, it's pretty awesome that you were able to see that, in the moment. Yeah, totally. And like, that's why you and I are both here to having this conversation is that like, it took me to, to hit that big low. Yeah. And I would like for other people to not have to get there. Um, and and kind of like be aware that this conversation is happening and, you know, maybe they don't have to hit such a low in order to make a change in their life, which is, so that's like the reason I'm happy to do this interview and I'm always public with this kind of conversation. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, that, I think that's, you know, that's what it takes is people wanting to speak about it and be open about it and and show that like, hey, this can get better. To have that self-awareness, I think, I think it's rare to have that self-awareness and it's something that you don't really find until you're in sobriety or a lot of people don't find until they're in sobriety where you're like, okay, this isn't just about me and what I need and me having a good time. It's like, I want to figure out how to, how to kind of give back and how to be helpful and and give to the community. Have you, have you found that that's the case since, you know, since you quit drinking that you're kind of having more and more of those types of thoughts? Yeah, totally. It's, it's wild. I I was going to mention this early on where I was telling my whole story of like, Oh, like my, my journey through skiing and how like that is like pretty boring and just like, incredibly selfish and like i do feel that most of my life has been this kind of selfish pursuit um but then it was only through um yeah getting sober and like seeing what that could do to my life um that i realized that i could have this kind of positive impact on other people and like found this necessity for this duty in my life that i had never had um which is really cool and again yeah it's exactly why I'm here is that like, I don't know, the mental clarity or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe just like going to therapy and like being healthy and, um, yeah, has like given me this, um, reason to have a, have a more positive impact on the world. And 
at least through this channel. It's like, it hasn't like flip turned me to become, you know, an activist in all rights. Um, sure. and like focus everything I do on, on the greater good. Uh, but it has shown me that it's like shit and you have like the power to help people through this one channel and you should put energy towards that. So yeah, yeah I think I only have like a, a couple, I think we only have so much energy <laughs> to yeah. do things in the world. So I try and put my positivity towards helping people through this and then like trying to make the world take everything a little less seriously to you. Cause I think that's a positive thing. But I guess that's more of a personal thing. No, no. I think that those two things fit together. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I like the way you talk about that, you know, the mental clarity, allowing for that kind of like growth beyond yourself, you know, and I, I think it's really true too. what you're saying is like, you know, it, it feels overwhelming, especially when you get me- like that mental clarity for the first time in sobriety for me. Uh, this was my experience for sure. It's like you become aware of so many things and so many issues, whatever you want to call it, the greater good things that you're that that you want to help. And it's almost like overwhelming because you you just want to like be helpful to everyone and do everything. But I like the approach that you're taking is like, hey, there's only so much that's possible. And so I'm going to like focus my positivity towards towards this thing, towards giving back and showing people how sobriety, you know, can be a path for them. What does that look like when people come to you? Like whenever or whenever you see people are, are you, like who are struggling and they're asking for help, what does that what does that usually look like? Um, yeah, for like directly people asking me for help. Um, I guess you asked, what does it look like? I'll tell you exactly what it normally looks like. Yeah. 90% of the interactions are, um, I post, I'd say annually on my personal Instagram page, mm-hmm. um, you know, to celebrate, Hey, this is, I'm at year three, I'm at year four, whatever. And, um, I make sure to be very, inviting in that situation to say like if if you are struggling or if you don't even know if you're struggling if you should like want to like talk about this super game yeah reach out to me so i get i'd say 90 percent of the outreach like right around then um, when i open that door and say hey i want to have that conversation yep um and yeah usually that conversation goes something along the lines of like somebody recognizing they have an issue and they're not happy with the way they've been drinking and them telling me. And it's like the first time they've actually told somebody, which I think is so cool. Like there's so many people I end up like, you know, I'm chatting with them, whether I know them or I don't. And they finally like type out and say out loud, they're like, yeah, I have a problem. Like I'm not happy with this and I want to change. And I'm like, boom, like they're there. Yeah. yeah, You did a lot of it. Best thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I feel like, I just love that. I love that those conversations facilitate that and it's really cool. So I'd say that's like 90% of it in terms of people reaching out to me and then, um, but yeah, a lot of it happens in person too. Yeah. I guess, I guess I feel like I lost track of the initial question. Yeah, no, no, you're on it. I mean, it's just asking, you know, what, what it feels like or what, what it looks like when people come to you because you're trying to be that you know, that positive example and trying to put it out there in the world, like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm down to talk about this and this is something I care about. And so, uh, I think you spoke to that pretty well because, you know, I think the majority of it probably does happen on online these days. I've had similar, um, 
experiences with that, be it Instagram or, or whatever, Facebook, where people are reaching out and saying, hey, it, it just feels like a, a safer, more comfortable place or space for people to reach out than in person a lot of the time. And I think a lot of that also has shifted for me. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I've kind of shifted. Um, I have a lot of friends who are still the same friends that I had from like childhood and back in the day. Um, but a lot of the people that I used to drink with, I don't spend a whole lot of time with them anymore. And so I'm not around that as much. So it makes sense to me that, you know, in person, I'm, I don't get it quite as much in person because, you know, I'm not putting myself in those situations as often. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well said. It's like, yeah, especially with the people you drink with. Um, yeah, you're just not seeing them as much. I do like, I always get a kick out of like, it's sad, but like, I, I don't know, for some reason I always laugh at like, like when I'm, when I am around those people, mm-hmm. <laughs> like people's necessity to be drunk and tell you how proud they are of you for not drinking. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> just like the yeah. fucking funniest thing, yep. because, you know, obviously like it makes total sense. Like these are people who are still using alcohol as a crutch to like find their emotional or social side of themselves. And so like six beers in, like they can finally like express themselves properly. Yeah. It's just like, it, it's just such a funny thing to me. Yeah. I've had, I've had that exact same experience many times and it's people speak their mind freely and it's like a little bit of like, just, you can hear them projecting all the things that, you know, projecting the things that they wish onto like your story. And I hear them, say things that are like, I'm so, I'm so proud of you for this or that or whatever. And it's like, and you don't even really know that much about my story. It sounds like you're talking about yourself a little bit, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's, I think that's such a, a tough thing to navigate through the early parts, especially of sobriety is like the being around people who you used to drink with and being in those situations. Um, what does your life look like now in regards to how, you know, how similar is your life now uh, to when you were drinking? Are you still able to like go out? I know COVID has changed a lot of things for a lot of people. Are you still like able to go be, you know, super social? Were you like, like you were before or have you kind of drawn in a little bit or is it a mix? What, what's that shifted? God, I feel like I was going to answer the beginning of that first, but then I lost it. Um, so, oh, <laughs> yeah. How's the, oh, what I was going to say is like, yeah, I think it's a really hard thing. I think that's one of the, like the hardest sticking points for a lot of the people that I communicate with. And again, I'm I'm talking to a very narrow group of people, so this doesn't speak to the whole world, but like that kind of fear that you won't be able to hang out with your friends and then that kind of like challenge of of how you know, how do I maintain those relationships or whatever um is always tough, but that makes sense. I think how about uh you talked about earlier, you know, the the wanting to be visible about being sober and about how you try to reach out and, and kind of have that that ability to influence, you know, to the general public and to the outdoors public. Do you think that comes from the fact that, you know, there haven't always been a lot of like visible sober people in the outdoor space? Drinking has always been a big part of skiing or, you know, kayaking or mountain biking or whatever your pursuit is, it's usually been, you know, big drinking culture around that. And I don't feel like there's always been highly visible sober people. Is that part of the reason that, that you kind of, uh, want to be that person? Um, yeah, totally. I mean, when I kind of made this choice, I was not aware of anybody 
who I felt like I truly related to, at least in the outdoor space, um, who was like sober and public about it. Um, you know, I've since found out about a bunch of people, but just like people who aren't like, I don't know, some, it just wasn't as talked about or I, maybe I just wasn't tuned into it cause I didn't care. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, now, um, so yeah, that's like a big goal. And I've definitely seen like a big tangible impact from my own, just like visibility in that space. It's like, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see friends of mine or people I don't even know, um, who are like happy to let me know that I was like a part of their journey to sobriety or even just like trying it out. Um, yeah. And that's like, yeah, that's why I'm doing this is that's why I'm like in this conversation right now and why I'm visible is that it's, uh, you know, it can have a positive impact on people. Yeah, for sure. There are a bunch of us, but yeah, it's just yeah, like not yeah. super known. So you know, I'm really grateful for this, uh, what you're doing and, and creating a bank of conversations with these people. And, um, yeah, like I've always just like thought of having just, you know, like a visible list of people on the internet I thought yeah. would be cool. And like, this is creating that. Um, and then also having conversations around it. So it seems like a really good step. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed since I've been uh, vocal about sobriety is like the number of people who reach out to me who I already knew and I didn't know they were sober or I've met them online or we've interacted somehow or we've collaborated in work or whatever it is. And I'll post something about sobriety and they'll reach out and say, hey, I'm sober too. And it's like, oh, Shit, this is this is really cool. There there are a lot of us out here. It's just uh not quite as visible as as the uh alcohol marketing budget allows that side of things to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh what is what's the difference between, you know, your your sober life now versus what your drinking life looked like socially or in any any aspect really? Yeah, totally. Um so in terms of like ability to be at like a, a drinking social event, I've found a way to balance it and make it a positive thing. Um, it's been like pretty awesome. Um, for example, I was at a after party for the Salt Lake City Supercross Championships, um, I think two weeks ago. And, you know, I, I managed to stay out until almost midnight, which I was pretty proud of. Nice. Myself That's for. late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was really late. I got pretty sleepy. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was at like a club, like freaking club VIPs and bouncers and like all that crap, like people Jeez. wearing clothes. And I'm like, Whoa, you guys <laughs> wear those sort of like, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like, I mean, I feel very lucky. I know it's not everyone's situation where I'm not like triggered in those situations and like want to drink, but, um, but yeah, I just like, you know, found people I wanted to have conversations with and, managed to continue having like really positive, good conversations because turns out something I didn't realize when I was drinking that like not everybody at a party is getting blackout drunk and trying <laughs> to like, you know, be the wildest person there. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that there are people who have control over themselves and those people might still be really interesting to talk about even though, or talk to, even though they are drinkers, Yeah, um, which like, I don't think there's any problem with Yeah, if you can handle it. Um, so yeah, like that was an example where it's like I went to a party and I enjoyed it um, for as long as I had the energy to enjoy it um, just by like continuing to have conversations with people I might not normally. So that was like 
pretty cool. But yeah, beyond that, like I, you know, I'm definitely, like I said at the beginning here, like uh, I got more into drinking when I was like going out like all the time, like multiple nights a week to different drinking establishments. And that is definitely far from my life. Um, I'm not super social, but yeah, I've kind of substituted a lot of things in my life with like exercise and being outdoors. So yeah, now I really like at this point in my career in life, I'm, I mostly make time in my day to day for work and then exercise and then cooking dinner and being with my partner and yeah, and that's it. So it's like the good stuff. Uh, that's definitely a big difference for sure. But I, you know, I like, I was into mountain biking and I would have said I was into ski touring, um, before I got sober, but like, you know, I probably spend 10 to 20 times the amount of time doing those things now that I did when I was drinking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that cool. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, what else have you noticed about, you know, the difference in your outdoor pursuits since you've been sober? Like, I think, you know, actually having the time and the energy and the ability to get out there sounds like the the most noticeable thing. Yeah, having the time for it, never being hungover uh, is, is really sweet. Yeah, I feel like I'm actually building skill again, which I don't think I was for a while, like, especially like with skiing, like I was always drinking when I was skiing, um, which is not, mm. <laughs> it's like an athletic pursuit, despite the fact that like many people are drinking beers, like it's not, it's, it seems so obvious now, didn't seem sure. obvious then, <laughs> like, yep. you shouldn't be doing that. Um, so yeah, like I'm actually like building, you know, fitness, um, and skills, uh, which is really rewarding because then it allows me to do more rad shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Got to go to Canada this year on like an awesome backcountry skiing trip and um, ski stuff that I never could have dreamed I would have been able to ski. And, uh, yeah, even just here at home, you know, skiing lines that I like never thought about and like skiing. Um, longer days in the backcountry or the resort, like, which just like in my eyes is like, you had a more fun day if you got like more volume of it, right? Like probably the same way I felt about drinking. It's like, yeah, you're having, a, <laughs> <laughs> you're having more fun if you're drinking more, but like, I'm still like, you have that addict brain where if I skied bell to bell, like, and got more runs than anybody else, like I probably had a ratter day. So I think yeah. that's all more possible without drinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love hearing, uh, everybody who I've talked to, I love hearing how the outdoors and their outdoor pursuits, be it skiing or mountain biking or kayaking or whatever it is, it just like how much that flourishes and it becomes such a more important part of their life once they get sober. It, uh, it's just such a cool thing. So when we talked uh, ahead of time, when before we started recording, you had mentioned to me, you kind of have this one piece of advice about uh, a year for people. Can you uh, extrapolate on that and kind of let, you know, let me know and let the people know what your approach is and how that worked for you, your, your timeline? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, yeah. So I'll preface by saying I am not a professional, you know, substance therapist i'm not um a, a super intelligent person <laughs> uh, that's rough that's rough <laughs> i'm just like an idiot um you know skier guy who like figured out my own way so um yeah i'm just gonna project that onto the world but maybe it, <laughs> maybe it helps you and it helps it has helped some people 
Um, but yeah, so like my personal experience with quitting alcohol was to, you know, from that day that we already talked about, um, I chose, I was like, all right, I need to make a change. I'm going to take one year off. And I think that was a pretty arbitrary decision. I'm just going to like, just like, all right, I'm just going to do a full year off and we'll see how that goes. I had tried like a month before and it didn't help at all. Mm. And I guess like another important part is that the prospect of quitting alcohol forever seemed really difficult. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a family that like drinks a lot, um, whether that's unhealthy or unhealthy, um, you know, like we use it for celebration, all that shit. So I was like pretty afraid to, um, just fully go sober. And also like, I think the identity feeling is, is a weird thing too, where you're like it to like, to say like, okay, I'm like a sober person is almost like killing part of your identity and replacing it with a different one. I think that's really scary for sure. So with all of that, um, yeah. And we talked about earlier, like people reach out to me because I'm pretty public about this, um, with almost everybody, at least everybody who has a more similar shared experience to me, who I feel like I can speak to. Cause again, there are plenty of people who I, I, I cannot help and I don't know the situation of, um, but I, I often recommend the year of sobriety as a really great way to start or figure it out. I think that the year is such a good thing to go for one, because like I said earlier, you don't have to like commit to forever. There's that kind of identity thing and that fear that yeah. you're going to miss out on, on, for me, it was like, all right, if I go to Japan and go skiing and I'm like at some dude's, you know, restaurant or wherever he, where he brews his own sake and it's like the coolest sake in the world. Like I, I want to still right have the option to say yes to that. Or if I'm in Italy and I go to a, a winery, I want to be able to say yes, this like 200 year old wine or whatever. Right. Like, so I wanted to like give that option. So there's like the ability to like commit to something or not fully commit to forever, I think is helpful. Um, and then, but I think the year allows you to commit to living through all of the experiences that you would normally drink and learning how to not drink in those situations. So I think like sober October is like a cool concept or whatever, but like October is a pretty easy month to not drink in, honestly. But mm. like, it's kind of hard to not drink at New Year's, right? Yeah, and yeah. It's, for a lot of people, it's hard to not drink around your birthday. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's pretty easy to think of a, a million reasons to drink. So I think if you can do that full year, just once, and go through all of those experiences that you'd normally drink and not do it, it really forces you to see if that works for you and see if you can learn that skill and get a better assessment on whether or not you want to go back to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think a month is enough time. I think it's healthy. And like, you know, again, I'm not an expert. So like, sure. please don't let me deter you from taking a month off. If you, if you think you need to take a month off, please do it. Um, but I just recommend for lots of people that the year is an easier to commit to way to really do an exercise that allows you to fully assess where you're at and you can always go back. Or for me, that's what I did. And now I'm almost at five years because I learned that I don't care to drink. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been to Italy since <laughs> and been, been to those wineries yeah. and turned it down. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Couldn't be happier about it. Man, that's awesome. I love that. That's that's beautiful. It it hits on everything like that 
all of all of us who struggle with alcohol, I think, have really similar thought patterns of coming up with these extravagant. Well, what if this? What if that? What do these stories that like our brain figures out how to try to convince us to justify our behavior that we know isn't helping? Uh, and so that that's just a really beautiful approach to do the year to to make it through all those those situations and then realize have that self realization of. Oh, this isn't adding value to my life. That's that's phenomenal, man. I think, yeah, I I I love that that year of year of sobriety approach, and and a lot of the things you talk about there make a ton of sense. That that's a great piece of advice uh, for someone who's looking for help. What would be any other kind of recommendations or or suggestions you would give to somebody, or what do you tell people in addition to that when they come to you looking for help? One of the things that I always find myself telling people, and I now I'm, I wonder if people are annoyed with this one because it's like <laughs> so stupid and it's so basic and it's like legitimately kindergarten level thinking. But like for some reason, it took me getting sober and like doing a year like to, to figure out that this is like a mantra for life. Um, so excuse me if this is really, really obvious. But my mantra is that if it's not fun, unless you're drunk, it's not fun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So like, that's pretty simple, right? Um, But like that mostly applies, you know, like we talked about earlier, like going to the bar or like weddings for me are tough for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't like dancing to like, (laughs) you know, journeys don't stop believing. Right, right. Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline. Um, so like, that's not fun for me unless I'm drunk. So those are the situations where I just exit, right? Like I find myself at midnight at a wedding, I'm, I'm gone. Or like, I do still go to bars and I still go to parties and I get a ton out of them when the situation's right. So like, I couldn't believe that party that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. There was like a VIP back section that was like quiet. And I was yeah. able to like sit down at a booth in and like friends were like cycling through and I was having conversations with them. But like if I was like stuck out on the loud dance floor and had to be like shouting in people's ears, thinking about how bad my breath is and like how bad the music is <laughs> and how like I don't care to be dancing, like it's yeah. just not fun. Yeah. So like that's just something I tell to a lot of people who are worried about like what their social life will look like or whatever. It's just like keep that in your head that if it's not fun, unless you're drunk, it's not fun and you don't have to do it. So for me, like, yeah, if I'm leaving a wedding at 11 PM, cause I'm not having fun anymore. I probably have something planned for the next morning that mm-hmm. is fun. Like yeah. I was at a wedding this last summer that I left pretty early. And then I went for like one of the best trail runs of my summer in, in the Tetons. And it was like, awesome. Yeah. It's easy to forget about tomorrow in those situations, right? And like yeah. waking up early and getting after it is uh, kind of what I live for right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I see. I, I listen to that and I think, man, eleven sounds pretty late for me. <laughs> <laughs> I Where I would have, I would have been there. Yeah. As I told the story about the bar earlier, I recognized I'm like, actually, I was home at 1130. It was about a 30-minute drive. So I left. Like, I fudged it. I tried to sound cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here, I'm here to call you out. That's that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would have I would have been there till two. I would have been there with you till two back in the day. But it, you're so right in that if it's not fun unless you're drunk, it's probably not actually fun. And what really is yeah. fun is the next morning when you get to go do the thing you love for sure. 
Exactly. And that's like where now skiing especially has been become more fun than ever for me. Yeah. It's like I used to always drink when I was skiing always like, <laughs> yeah, it's still there. I, um, built and installed basically a bird feeder, but it's full of liquor bottles oh, wow. with a locked cabinet door. And I screwed that into a tree at the ski area that I, I frequent. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> stealthy like, i like it yeah 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 it's like in like a little grove of trees it's like it'd be really hard to stumble upon but like all my friends know where it is but you Everyone know exactly where the that is to the lock <laughs> yeah oh yeah i yeah. knew exactly where it was and like even like you know i skew with my parents sometimes even they know where it is because like i would take them there that's like how much i couldn't like disassociate drinking with skiing it's like i'm going to the liquor box i'm going to have some drinks while i'm skiing yeah and like I was definitely a little worried about what skiing might feel like after I stopped drinking because it was just so connected. Yep. And, but like, so then, yeah, I stopped drinking in August, started skiing again in what November and like immediately had the most fun winter of my entire life because skiing is one of those things. Again, this is that, that very simple rule. Skiing is fun when you're not drunk. Yep. So then it is fun. It's like, and now it's more fun than ever. And like the more hours I can ski in a day and the harder I can ski, like the more fun I'm having with it. And like, I couldn't be more grateful that I'm not drinking while I'm skiing. Cause that was less fun than it is now. Yeah, man, that makes, that makes a ton of sense, you know? And I, I feel like I had, I feel like everybody who has struggled with it has similar you know, alcohol hiding spot stories and how a lot of that stuff is, is just the same man for all of us. And it's so nuts that like, it's so hard to see in the moment when you're, when you're living it. But now that you can look back at it, you're like, Oh, Oh crap. This is so much better now. Yeah. And maybe like, maybe this is an unfair opinion, but like, I think a pint of vodka in your um, glove box of your car or in your toolbox at work or something like that, I have to assume that people doing that recognize that that's a little bit less healthy or reasonable than skiers hiding booze in the woods. Yeah. But like, because the outdoor community celebrates alcohol so much and it's so common and like, so accepted Yeah, that like, I don't know, it's tough to see that that's almost a parallel. It is. It is very much a parallel, though. And it makes a lot of sense when you explain it like that, that like, you know, if you're going to some nine to five job and you're sneaking booze there, it's like a little easier to see. Right. But if you're if you're working in the outdoor industry and you're doing like event marketing and you're doing all these things that involve it, man, those lines are they get really blurry really quick. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny space we're in. Yeah, it is. I. I'd like to think that hopefully it's getting, it's trending towards being a better space. And like you said earlier, you know, I think there are so many of us out here who don't drink that I feel continually surprised and, and I feel excited every time I get to see new people and have new conversations like this one where I'm like, here's another person I know now that, that doesn't drink because I think there are a lot of us out here. So I think it's, it's slowly changing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think it's, it's more common now than it once was, um, or at least we're visible. And yeah, I think the visibility only helps amplify and change people's lives. Yeah, man. Well, you're a big part of that. And I, I just can't say, you know, thank you enough for being here with us today and, and sharing your story and, and 
if people want to follow along with your journey, what's what's the best place for them to reach you? Yeah, I guess I'm most uh, vocal and public on my Instagram, which is just my name at Spencer Harkins. Um, and you can find links to all of my different social medias through that as well. But I'm normally most vocal about um, the alcohol and sobriety thing through Instagram. And then also like I will respond to every direct message sent to me. And if it's related to this subject, I'll respond pretty damn thoroughly and always get into that conversation with anyone. Um, again, it's like, I didn't really feel like I was contributing to the world until I got sober. And then I found this thing where it's like, I just am compelled to help people. Um, it's been such a positive thing for me that I, I just want, I want everyone who is interested to try and experience this as well. So I will happily sit there and take the time with anyone who messages in. So please feel free to hit me up there if you're interested, curious. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Th- thanks again. I-, I really appreciate you being here. I know everybody will appreciate it. Uh, thanks, John. Yeah. What you're doing is really awesome. I really hope that people who need to hear this, you know, not, not my interview, but your <laughs> podcast in general, find it and listen to it and use it as a tool. It could be really valuable. I wasn't aware that anything like this existed when I needed help. So. Yeah, uh, really awesome, John. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, we'll keep up with you and talk to you soon. I just want to say thanks again to Spencer for a great conversation. You know, my biggest takeaway from talking with Spencer was his willingness to help other people and his ability to see beyond himself in sobriety. This really connected with me and made a lot of sense because I know exactly what he's talking about. And I think a lot of you will resonate as well. It's really difficult when you're in active addiction or when you're struggling to think and see beyond yourself and imagine how you could be a force for positive change in the world. And I think talking to Spencer really hammers home the concept of getting outside of yourself is one of the best ways to maintain your sobriety, maintain your happiness, maintain positive mental health. You know, you gotta, you gotta really leave yourself and serve others and, and be of help to your community to make that positive impact. And I think, you know, it's clear to hear in his words and in his actions that he's here for that. And so I think that's, that's really something special. I also want to take a second and thank you all for listening. You know, you, the audience, are the reason that we're doing what we're doing here with Nature Untold. So we really appreciate you listening. And if you feel like you're getting something from our show, please take a second and leave a review on Spotify or Apple or anywhere you can find podcasts. It really makes a huge difference in our mission to help other people who might need to hear what we're doing that's probably the single biggest thing you can do to help us is leave a review somewhere. Also make sure that you're following along on Instagram for more content and updates about the show. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.